you know, it's funny because because you're saying you're saying you want to do this quick and everything. Uh, I, I could talk about this movie for for a long time. I really responded to it. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on, one of you nuts has got any guts? What's but a smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. All right, hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following Films Network. And this week, uh, despite the fact that I'm on a on the different side of the country, we're, you're still getting a new release uh, review. As most of you know, my regular co-host is Michael Denniston of War Machine vs. War Horse, but he's like, you know, busy getting married or something today, which is why I am uh, coming to you from Kentucky right now. So, uh, but I still managed to see The Light Between Oceans, which is the movie we're going to talk about today, and we have a, a guest who has been on the show a few times who has volunteered to step in for Mike. So thank you, Ben Zook, for joining us. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I never get married on the weekend, so, you know. Yeah, some people, the nerve. <laughs> Don't they know there's movies coming out? <laughs> All right, uh, so let's just jump into The Light Between Oceans. This week on the show, uh, we covered Blue Valentine, which is another uh, Derek C. in France film, who also directed this, and this, he seems to be attracting, like, regardless of how you feel about his movies, he's definitely attracting big stars, and, and this movie is... Is definitely one of those. We've got Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander, and I think both of whom were nominated for Academy Awards last year, and one of which, Alicia Vikander, who won. So you definitely have some star power here, some kind of art house star power. So what did you think of The Light Between Oceans? You know, it's funny because because you're saying you're saying you want to do this quick and everything. Uh, I, I could talk about this movie for for a long time. I really responded to it. Oh. Uh, it seems to be drawing very polarized uh, responses from people. And I guess that's not unlike Blue Valentine and The Place Beyond the Pines, but it would seem to be even more so with Flight Between Oceans. Do you Um, think that's because of expectations, because of the the kind of award caliber actors that we have here, like yeah, Brian Gosling. I don't know what, don't know what happens to people when they just see the, the, the listing of, you know, Academy Award winner, Alicia Vikander, Academy Award winner, Rachel Weisz, Academy Award nominee. I don't know if that like changes the way they view a film or whatever. Uh, but, right. but I think if they, you know, it's funny because Alicia Vikander, when she was cast in this movie, you know, was essentially yeah. nobody, yeah. um, you know, so they kind of lucked out in that regard. And I really didn't think about any of that. Like, you know, like, you know, me, I, I don't watch trailers. Right. I don't, try to read about what a movie is about before I go see it. I just try to walk in as fresh as possible. And in all honesty, I had a, I had a great time. Uh, I, I can see where maybe there, maybe people didn't expect it to be a melodrama. Maybe they were expecting something completely different. Uh, but I think the movie makes it painfully clear that that it is a melodrama. And I don't think it, I don't think it's fair to come into it with this sort of expectation of that's going to be one thing and then just being so, uh, you know, upset that it's not that. Yeah, I mean, just given the plot, like I talked about this kind of in preparation earlier this week, and it almost has to be a melodrama. I mean, like literally a baby washes up on the shores of their lighthouse. It's melodramatic. But what I I do really like about this movie is I don't think either, not either, but I don't think uh, Vikander, Fassbender, or Vice end up going too far into the melodrama. There's not a moment in the film to me where I'm sitting here thinking like, oh God, this is ridiculous. Like this emotion is way over the top. Like it seems to fit 
the situation. Like I didn't have a problem with their performances. I, I completely agree. And that's really funny because the visuals are so big oh, and, God, and yeah. huge and, and gorgeous. And, and yet the performances are kind of, are, are a lot more intimate yeah. uh, than, than I think you would expect even, even in a melodrama like this. Yeah. And you know, just visually the film is phenomenal, phenomenally looking like all the, especially the kind of first two acts where you're kind of uh, at the lighthouse. Like it's just gorgeous. Like I felt like just, I could just watch, I could just live in this little world right here and be completely happy because it's so nice to look at. And you also have some really good performances by both uh, Vikander and Fassbender. And I, I have been kind of slow to warm on Alicia Vikander. Like I never thought she gave bad performances, but I, I wasn't seeing, I guess what everyone else was seeing, but I was, I was really impressed with her here and to kind of for 90% of the movie to share the screen with Fassbender, that's no small task. So that's not something everyone can do. Yeah, no, I, li- I like them both a lot uh, as well. I, d- I wasn't a huge fan of either of the movies that they got uh, Academy Award nominations for last year. Right. So, so it is really, it is really funny that that I'm coming to this movie and I'm now, I'm now like defending uh, them and, and their performances and everything. Uh, but that's exactly the place that I find myself in. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had heard like kind of the the reviews coming out being like not so great, but it's so hard to trust reviews not because like the people giving them aren't doing their best but there is this idea of we in our brains we kind of file away like it's good or it's bad or like it's this out of 10 and Mm -hmm. you know there's so much variability that goes into those numbers that come out uh and i'm getting a taste of that like creating my like letterbox account like try to like rate movies out of five stars and i'm like ah this doesn't i mean this isn't equal to that that isn't equal to this like it's such, such a different process but i enjoyed the movie more than i expected to i think it's got some ending problems uh, I think the way things wrap up, I wasn't a fan of, but that second act where essentially you have Fassbender's character warming up to Vikander's character is just beautiful. Like his performance is so kind of lovely and understated, especially in a melodramatic type of movie that I really, I like, I love Fassbender, but I was not expecting like that level of subtlety to a performance in a movie like this. You know, it's funny because uh, so he's sort of a wounded uh, loner protagonist, which is very similar to to the male protagonist that we've seen in Derek Sanfrance's other uh, films. Uh, and both of those, both of his first two films were original screenplays, and this is an adapted screenplay from a book that I that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Uh, but it's odd. It's odd some of the some of the little parallels that I was able to see uh, throughout oh, yeah. uh, this and his in his first two films. Yeah, I actually listened to an interview with him about how he looks for projects or writes projects that essentially the male character reminds him of himself. Like that, yeah. So that's who he casts first. And, and you can tell that that's true. But I, I also heard uh, him on another podcast being interviewed. And I thought this really interesting thought is despite the fact that these movies in a lot of ways are very male, they're about the, the kind of male protagonist. But there's also these great roles for, for women in his films, like especially Blue Valentine and here. And I think here, Vikander has a lot to do here. She's not an afterthought at all. She's mm-hmm. drastically mm-hmm. important to this story. She's kind of the engine that makes it go. Uh, the scene to me that really sticks out is the scene of, of her going up the stairs, uh, you know, not to give too much away, uh, but that, oh, yeah. you know, that really was a highlight for me. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, I think that's the moment where I was watching the film and I was like, Okay, I'm in. Like that yeah. that's I mean the rest of the film already building up is good and you're like, Okay, this is fine, this is beautiful, this is a nice relationship building, but that moment is really impactful. 
you bring up an interesting point because, you know, so uh, I knew there was going to be, I, even I knew there was going to be something in regards to them finding a baby, right. uh, even from not watching the trailers or anything. And, and so that doesn't really happen for like 35 minutes into the movie or so. So yeah, there's I a almost, lot. I almost wish I didn't know that. that. I almost wish <laughs> yeah, I didn't know too. that because, <laughs> because like, despite all this like pain and, all this trauma going on, you know, as a viewer, like, okay, well, eventually this, this baby in a boat is going to show up and <laughs> solve other problems for a while. So, but I, I still think because of those performances, like it makes that first act. So it's like a great little short film, that first act, like all the way up until the baby shows up. It's just a fantastic character study. One of the things I noticed is like, even after they're together and she's like living there with him and they've got, they've gotten married. There's, there's like this interesting performance from Fassbender where even when he kisses her, he's he's still a little withdrawn. Mm-hmm. Like even when he's connecting with her, like he doesn't because he's so he's so kind of he's been through the wars literally so much that he just he doesn't know how to connect with people and he almost doesn't even really have a desire to. But something about her kind of pulls him in. So that's why as he kind of warms to her throughout the film, it's it's an actual character arc. It's not just like, Oh, it's a romance. So they have to get together. Like it does seem very natural and earned. Well, it's interesting because she's coming from a place of, of a, of a wounded past of some sort as well. I, I think I missed the line a little bit. It was something about a death in the family or something. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's a little bit vague yeah. in the beginning, um, but I, she's definitely coming from a place of like a wounded past. And that's kind of what brings them together. And, and I, I really like just the way he describes it in the, in the, in the beginning, uh, you know, come with me to, to my Island. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get this real sense of her being brought into his private little world, uh, you yeah. know, and then kind of sharing that together. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that the deaths that they're probably talking about are her brothers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And there's a whole lovely scene where she's kind of talking about, like, I wish there was a name for what I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, am I still a sister? Does that, does that relationship still exist? And I love that that is what kind of bonds them together. It's not like this heated romance. It's not a torrid affair. It's like two very, dark and wounded people finding solace with one another. And I like that she brings, but she still brings him a little lightness. And you could see that in their first like picnic when they, when they go out with one another and her just kind of like jabbing at him a little bit, like, okay, what can we talk about since everything is off limits? And she's so charming in those scenes. Yeah. And I I like those scenes as well. Uh, and, And it's interesting too, that, you know, the thing that brings sadness into their lives is not being content with just being, you know, with each other, that that they have to, you right. know, build a family as well. Uh, and so, yeah, sure, in the 1920s and everything, that that's a much bigger deal. But even today, right. I think I think people can relate to that idea. So I think the other thing people can relate to, and what I like took from this as far as the big theme, at least of the first two acts, is this idea of what's what's more important: the the people in your life or how you're how you're duty bound. Yeah, like, it seems yeah. like everything he does. Even when it blows up in his face, he feels like he's doing them for the right reasons. All the way till the end, all the way to a situation that we'll we'll talk about in spoilers, where you're just like, "Will you talk to your wife? Will you just have a conversation, and you guys can figure this out?" But instead, I'm gonna like kind of sneak around and do this and do that. And but he's doing all those things because he feels like I've gone down the wrong path, and I have to fix this. I have to do the right thing, kind of you know, to get like really grand about it for, for like his soul, I'm sure is what he would, he would see this as. It's just like, there's, there's, he's not, there's not a lot of gray for him. 
And I think the choice they make in the beginning of the film is so much dependent on her willingness to go into those gray areas and his kind of, and he, he seems to be like at war with himself until he sees how desperate she is for a child. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they do a great job of showing how gradual their transformation is to, you know, keeping the the kid. Um, you know, that it doesn't just happen all at once. And I, I honestly would argue that they don't really they don't really do anything wrong yeah. until until later on in the movie when they find out that you know that uh, about Rachel Vice's character. Right. Um, you know, they really don't do anything wrong until that point. I would say. Yeah. What did you think of Rachel Vice's performance here? I thought she was really good. Uh, it's really nice to to even you know see her in a, yeah. in a movie. Uh, I mean, correct well, me if I'm wrong. There was Youth last year, right? Uh, youth? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was good in Youth. She, yeah. she was good in Youth. She has not this, not like, a very good movie, but... No, uh, we agree on that. That was a <laughs> struggle for... Like, I watched it at home, and I almost left. Like, I was just like, oh, God, get this over with. But I just like her her screen presence in general. I just think she's she's fun to watch on screen, and she's kind of transforming her career into these really interesting supporting roles. When you look at youth, when you look at this, when you look at the lobster, you know, and this is someone who kind of, we, a lot of people first noticed her from being in The Mummy, of all things. So it's, uh-huh. been, a, it's been a very interesting career trajectory, but I think there's there's so much, like there's so many moments in this film with her, and she's not in it that much, mm-hmm. but the moments that she's there, it everything, every emotion she's feeling is, is a little melodramatic, but it does still feel genuine given what she's gone through. And I think it's, it's really important and it's really important for this film because if, if you hate her character, yeah, then nothing works. So and like, I wonder, maybe that's the problem that some people ha- are having. I think maybe some people are seeing her as being painted with, with a broad stroke. I, I certainly didn't. I, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, we saw, uh, enough of her of her side of things to you know to understand why she has to make the decisions that she has to make, and in fact, she comes off as probably much more reasonable than than most people would be in that same you know situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I think she, she has one moment in the later part of the movie, which which is one of the few things that I that I thought could have been better about the movie, and we'll probably get into that in spoiler territory. Yeah, I just think the movie probably would have been served better to introduce her earlier if we have kind of a parallel story going on, because it feels rushed, all those kind of flashbacks with her and what she's gone through. It feels like like I should have background on this already, but it just seems like, okay, we're going to throw this at you really quick. Like, we've gone this very slow-paced route with this with this love story and with the baby showing up, and then we kind of show her entire history in like eight minutes and flashbacks, and you're like, ugh. So for me, I would have liked if both stories were told kind of at the same time. And I think it would have, although audiences sometimes don't like that because they don't like feeling torn and like, who should I be rooting for? But I think it would be interesting. You know, for me, it's like, I I, I can understand where you're coming from, but Mm -hmm. I also think it's much better that the baby and its appearance is a complete and total mystery because that way you, you know, you, you fill the details in your head uh, and you can understand. Just like they do. Yeah. So sure. um, Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, let's just, I think at this point, let's just like jump into spoilers because I think there's some things you've almost said and then like, well, let me pull that back a little bit. So let's jump into spoilers. Spoilers. What? Read ahead, spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. That's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Um, so you, as a, a couple minutes ago, you said like, okay, we're going to talk about this later. So what did you want to bring up? 
Well, okay. So the one moment that, and it's funny because I listened to your podcast on the, on uh, blue, blue Valentine and you brought up a similar flaw in that movie, which I, which I didn't remember about, but there's a point where Rachel Weiss in the third act of the movie they're trying to tie back a recurring theme of forgiveness uh, that has been introduced with a flashback of her husband. And she says, she literally parrots the line back that her husband said to her in the flashback earlier in the movie. And I felt like that would be a really effective scene if only it wasn't word for word exactly what uh, her husband said. If she had said, you know what? It's time, you know, forgive, got to forgive at some point, like something like that. Right. Like it would have been so much better. But because like it's literally word for word, it, it was all it was almost way too obvious that they're that they're tying back into that theme. So. Yeah. I mean, I think when you bring up things like that, like we shouldn't be surprised that Derek C. and France chooses a melodrama, like a melodramatic book. Like if you look at like I, lo- I really enjoyed Blue Valentine. I really liked it a lot. Um, but there are certainly moments in that film because it is like it's set in this emotionally charged setting, like either the beginning of a relationship or the end of it. Those are both very emotionally charged. So you're going to get that melodrama. So it seems like he's very comfortable operating there. He's also comfortable apparently with like fathers who are taking care of kids who aren't necessarily theirs by, by Mm -hmm. genetics. Mm -hmm. That that seems to be this really common thread. It's really interesting that he keeps kind of going back to that. makes me wonder like kind of for the future of his career, like, do you have to, do you have to get away from that at some point? Or is it just going to be like, oh, well, another Derek C. in France movie. I guess it's, you know, some kid that's not his or it's going to be about daddy issues. You, you know, you know, I find I find that element of his work really interesting. Um, you haven't seen The Place Beyond the Pines yet because yeah. I, I listened to your podcast. Uh, you should. It's really good. Um, he, he uses that again in that movie. Uh, and I find it I find it really interesting. Um, hmm. You know, these, these complex familial ties that that always occur in his work are i don't know i find i find it to be i think that's a uh, if if he continued to develop that i'd be perfectly fine with it hmm. all right uh so earlier you also brought up the the scene on the staircase i wanted to talk about for a minute because it's it's heart-wrenching it's it's yeah. honest, it was honestly <laughs> difficult for me to watch because i had this thought as you know as the movie is going on like really you're going to be pregnant on that island where no one can get to you that seems like a bad call and of course i know in like the 1920s you know, medical care wasn't what it is today where like there's kind of prenatal care and, you know, scheduled visits. Like you just, you go and have your baby at home. Go ahead, go and do it. Uh, But in this, you're like so separate from everyone. And then when she essentially, you know, she has her miscarriage and she can feel it and he's in the lighthouse and she just keeps screaming against the wind. Like literally just, it it feels Mm -hmm. like something in a, in a much older film. We're like literally just screaming at the elements because you can't get to the person or the place that can help you. And her just like dragging herself up that staircase. It's, and they do not kind of let you let you off easy. Like they, no, they, they let you watch that whole ascension up the staircase. And I also think when Fassbender sees her, like when he finally opens the door and she's collapsed. I mean, it's a it's, a, it's really rough to watch, but really well performed. I'm really glad they went there. That that scene really pulled me in. I I, I was kind of uncertain about the movie uh, up until that point. Like I was just having trouble figuring out, you know, where things were heading and all that. Uh, but you, you're right. It fe- it does not feel like a scene from a romantic drama, uh, you know, of any kind. I, ke- I keep imagining what would have happened if they if if they had turned this movie into some like Zac Efron uh, and whoever the woman would be. I don't ever know who they would cast, but, but like Jesus, it would, it would not include a scene like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I love that scene. I love the use of sound design 
uh, you know, oh, yeah. that they have. I mean, wind is pretty, it's pretty tough to get right. Uh, and then they really do. Uh, so, you know. yeah, I think sound is an interesting thing to bring up. Cause there's another moment that really struck me where she's like mourning the deaths of these two children that were, that were never born. And she lays her head in the, mm-hmm. in the kind of, in the grass there next to it. And she hears the baby who we knew, figure out pretty quickly is the baby in the boat. And we hear this cry, but it's a really like stirring moment because she's, she's mourning the death of these children. And she hears a baby cry and you can see from the look on her face. She doesn't know if what she is hearing is real. It, it's like, it's like destiny or whatever, yeah. or at least in her head, right. it, it's playing out that way. It's like, I, and I think, and I think Sam France, you know, the way, the way he kind of switches to a handheld camera, that's just like radically bumping up and down as they're, as they're like chasing towards this boat. Um, you know, it's great. Uh, in her head, it's like, this is destiny. This is right. This is a, this, God is correcting, uh, right. you know, something that, that, that I'm deficient in here, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, and I, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And that camera work is really interesting because they have two separate shots. They have Fassbender running towards, uh, towards mm-hmm. the boat and you have her. And I love the fact that when he's running, the camera is steady. Yeah. And when That's she's running, point. it's not. And it really puts you, I mean, it's a little, it's definitely very jarring because up until this point, the film is so pretty and so smooth looking yeah, yeah. that when that comes out, it's like, when did we get to like Evil Dead shaky cam? Like, how do we, how do we get here? So it was, but it is really interesting because it puts you in that like excited to the point of panic mindset that mm-hmm. she must be in if if she really does feel that this is destiny, that this is meant to be. And I I like that, and it's something that that probably not a lot of directors would have gone that route because they've made this kind of pristine looking picture mm-hmm. and they don't want to have the audience go like, Whoa, what's happening right here? Like it's, it could definitely be very jarring, but there, I liked it. There's some, there's some really smart uh, camera coverage in this movie, not just in terms of, you know, making a pretty shot like, like we're talking about, but in terms of really portraying things in a way that puts you in the head and the mindset of the characters, you know, later on in the movie, there's a scene between Fassbender and Vikander, and it's right after the it's right after they've seen Rachel Weisz for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam Francis put his camera almost right on Fassbender's eye line, and we're looking right into him and really understanding what he's saying, and we're we're way askew from uh, Vikander's eye line, and we're we're like we're we're you know we're we're barely seeing uh, her her eyes. And it's like great stuff like that because we're because we're drifting away from her sympathies at that point in the story right. uh, and drifting more towards uh, Fassbender's uh, point of view. Yeah, um, and it's just just great stuff. Yeah, I think as I mentioned earlier, my only issue with the film is kind of how it wraps up. It seems a little too easy for me, and I think I think most of that is probably just you know you you're relegated to this because you've made this based on a book. You know, I feel like everything is is set up like as he's in jail and she's going through the I'm never going to forgive him. It's set up for this really dark, bittersweet ending between the two of them. And everything all of a sudden starts to switch where, you know, Rachel Weisz's character kind of feels bad about everything. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to let you have this kid. Oh, but only if you if you go against your husband. And it just became this like series of events at the end of the film where they knew they needed to wrap things up. And it all felt very rushed and just a little too simplistic. You know, I, I was okay with it. I certainly see where you're coming from. Uh, but but when I don't know when when Rachel Weisz 
puts the candor in that place, uh, you know, I, I just kind of I, I gasped out loud, um, and you know, never would have expected her to do that. And that's certainly a melodramatic moment, but I, but I think it's, an, I think it is a melodrama. I think it embraces, you know, the, you know, the uh, staples of that genre uh, so well, and, and even to the point where when we start, when we start getting scenes with. Fassbender in old age makeup and everything. I was like fine of it. I was like, yeah, this is this is pure melodrama territory. But it, well, it, yeah, like, I mean, especially <laughs> with the daughter like coming back, but only after the wife has died. Like it's so. But I love it. I, I loved it. I like. I know. I know that it it, it definitely seems uh, odd and, and inappropriate in the, in this movie that that you know seems so prestigious and everything. But to me, embra- it was better for them to embrace those elements of melodrama rather than run away from them. Yeah, but I think where they they take the correct turn here is the elements of melodrama are there except for the overboard acting. And I, th- uh, and I think yeah. that's what keeps this movie grounded and that's what makes it watchable. Because if you made this like a pure melodrama, like it becomes, you know, the worst moments of Gone with the Wind, you know, then it's kind of like, oh, I can't even watch this anymore. Like this, none of this feels real. But I think because of the three central performances here, they're all so grounded and so real and so genuine that even with all the melodrama that's going on, I think the movie still works. Like, like I mentioned, I have my problems with it. I have issues with it, but it's by no means a bad movie and certainly worth watching. I, you know, I, re- I honestly think this is one of the best films I've seen this year. I'm, I'm really surprised by the critical reaction uh, to it. Just, just based on how emotionally I responded to it. Um, this you know, feels like something critics would love. Like it really does. What, what what's that? I, for me, it felt like something that critics would absolutely just salivate over. So I'm surprised I, to hear them kind of be like, "Well, it's okay," you know. I just, I just, there, there's something wrong when uh, when this movie has one point higher on Metacritic than Ghostbusters. Um, you know, there's some, and I'm not talking about 1984 Ghostbusters. I'm talking about the the other one, the bad one. Um, you know, there's something really wrong when that, yeah. when that's happening. I mean, and that's what happens. Like we kind of talked about this at the beginning when you narrow things all down to numbers, like it's just like, yeah. you might as well just throw it against the wall and see what sticks at that point. Like, I think if you, if you like slower paced movies and you like, like stirring strong performances from kind of all across the board, like this is definitely a good one to see. And I mean, if, if you're someone who likes melodrama, I think, yeah. well, I think well done melodrama is something that, that, you know, should be celebrated. I mean, you know, Douglas Sirk movies from the 1950s and all that were discredited uh, when they came out, not liked by critics either. Um, but now we hold those as, as some of the best movies of that time period. So, you know, there, the, you know, there should be a little bit more of a reevaluation of uh, melodrama as an appropriate genre for, for, you know, for films. Yeah. I mean, I think just in closing, it's one of those things that it becomes a dirty word you know melodrama just immediately gives you that idea of over the overdone over the top not realistic and the melodrama is more about like the the situational the context of what's happening not so much the performances here uh so the last time i was on your show we talked about Sidney lamette and he has he has a good quote about it uh and i don't know if i necessarily even agree with it but it is interesting he yeah. says that in a drama the uh a uh, plot comes from the characters and in a melodrama, the characters come from mm. the plot. And I think mm. that's definitely true here. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't have any problem with it at all. Uh, I certainly think this is a, this is a very over the top crazy situation. Uh, and we're, we're, and we're seeing characters <laughs> that are, that are, that are, that are definitely, yeah, being pushed in a certain direction. Uh, and, but, but, you know, but I found it effective. So. 
Okay, sounds good. So that's it for our review. Um, and uh, we're going to take a little break and then I'll come back and talk about what's coming out next week. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. All right, welcome back, everybody. So as I'm sure you're able to tell, there's no fangirl fixation this week. So this won't be as entertaining and as maybe energetic as it usually is because Brit is not here because I am in Kentucky. I am 3,000 miles away uh, from my beautiful, lovely wife. So I, what I was going to do is just kind of talk briefly about the three movies that are coming out uh, this coming week uh, so you guys still knew, you know, what you should see, maybe what you shouldn't see, and there's a lot of shouldn't this week. So there's three movies. The first one is called When the Bow Breaks, and I feel like if you've seen this trailer, I would hope you have the same reaction that I do, which is like, haven't I seen this shit before? And wasn't it already terrible? Why are we Why are we doing this? So basically, uh, the, the, I, the bit of a twist here, I guess, is that one of the characters is a surrogate mother for a couple, and she becomes obsessed with the soon-to-be father. But, you know, we've seen this before, where you have this kind of third party come into a relationship and, you know, end up obsessing over the man or the woman in it and kind of snaps and becomes violent and, oh, God, just boring, 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 boring. But this starts... Uh, Morris Chestnut, uh, Regina Hall, and Romany Malko. Um, so it's it's kind of upsetting. I think there's some actors out there that are better than we give them credit for, and they end up in movies like this that just looks really, really rough. Like honestly, there's nothing, there's nothing in this trailer where I was entertained. I was just the whole time I was rolling my eyes at how ridiculous it it was. I mean, really, the only good thing is it's a movie that seems to be at least almost completely uh, people of color in the cast. Which is good, uh, but I would like, I mean, granted, I haven't seen it. Maybe it's amazing. Maybe it's different than all those other versions of the same movie. But I got to think that no, that is not true, and it's going to be just terrible. Uh, But, you know, you never know. And sometimes there's a place for that kind of adult thriller, right, that doesn't get a lot of play anymore. That used to, especially in like the 70s and the 80s, maybe the early 90s, you get a lot of these kinds of movies. You know, whether you're, whether you're talking about somebody's biggest basic instinct or uh, single white female movies like that, like I think there's a place for it. I just wish we'd get a little more creative in the movies that we put out. The second film, Jesus, I, I think it looks even worse than the first film, which is called The Wildlife. It's a kid's movie. It's an animated movie that's very, very loosely based on Robinson Crusoe and how he came to be stranded on a tropical island. And of course, there's talking animals and there's pratfalls and it's ridiculous. Um, but usually I can at least watch a trailer for a kid's movie and see like, oh, I see, I get it. I see what they're going for here. I see what's going to be funny. I see what the kids are going to like. But honestly, I didn't even crack a smile during the entire two-minute trailer. Like, I was just, like, over it from the beginning because it's not funny. It's not clever. The animation doesn't look good. Uh, You know, there's no super famous voices, which is both good and bad, I guess. It's, it's It's good because, like, it's nice to just have voice actors getting work. It's bad because if the movie is bad, you have nothing else to lean on, and you're just kind of stuck in this really shitty kids movie uh, that's not funny and not entertaining and not even doing anything interesting with the source material. All right, so the last movie and the movie we are covering on the show is Sully. Uh, So this is uh, Tom Hanks uh, in the story of Chesley Sullenberger, who very famously kind of became a hero after gliding his plane along the water in the Hudson River, saving all of the 155 crew and passengers on board. 
Uh, and so it's it's like I mean people have made this joke a lot, but it's like Tom Hanks is just playing you know whatever middle aged captains or pilots he can at this point because he you know just a few years ago there was uh, Captain Phillips which was phenomenal and we will talk about very soon uh, and now he's moving on to Sully uh, but it seems like this movie is a little bit more about what happened after like when people are asking questions about did he do the right thing should he have done this should he have done that so that looks kind of interesting uh, it's directed. Uh, by Clint Eastwood, stars Tom Hanks, and uh, Anna Gunn of Breaking Bad uh, fame, and also uh, Laura Linney and Aaron Eckhart. So he's, got, he's put together quite a good cast. So it'll be interesting to see what Eastwood does here, because he's very hit and miss for me. And also it's interesting because this is one of the shorter movies Eastwood's ever made. He's usually good for about two and a half hours. I think this one's like maybe an hour and 40 minutes. So it'll be nice to see what he can do with kind of a brisk pace. But I will say that... Uh, you know, when I first heard about this movie coming out, I was not super interested, but I think Tom Hanks has enough cachet with me at this point that it's like, okay, you know, I, I didn't think Captain Phillips was going to be any good, and you shocked me there, so, you know, I'm willing to give it a shot because of who's involved. All right, so that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, next time you hear from me, I will be doing a an episode on the aforementioned Captain Phillips to go with the release of Sully. So until then, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. Thank you.